Welcome to The Buzz, the podcast of the Jazz Journalists Association, where we discuss news and views from those in the jazz media, writers, broadcasters, photographers, videographers, and other professionals, documenting the entire ecosystem of jazz. Listening to The Buzz, the official podcast of the Jazz Journalist Association. I'm your host, Rick Mitchell, and today we're going to be talking about jazz radio with Linda Yawn, longtime music director and programmer at WEMU in Ann Arbor, Michigan, now at WRCJ in Detroit. She does a weekly program called The Swing Set. Also, we're talking to Cheryl K. Simister Masterson at WGXC in Hudson, New York. She does two programs. Jazz Disturbance, and Situation Fluxus. Jazz Disturbance is mostly music. Situation Fluxus is music and interviews. A little later in the program, we're going to bring in Mark Rini, who is the co-owner of Groove Marketing Northwest, which handles radio promotion for Blue Note and Mac Avenue, as well as quite a few smaller labels and independent artists. And we'll be talking to him about the difficulties and joys of getting the good stuff actually played on the radio. So, Linda and Cheryl, I'd like to ask both of you to go into a little more detail about your backgrounds. What brought you to jazz radio programming? Cheryl, why don't you take it first? I'll take it, Linda. I'll take it. (laughs) I've been involved in print and broadcast media for over 28 years. I've worked and volunteered at commercial, college, and community radio. And at one point, I was at an NPR affiliate. I stumbled into radio by, by listening to my favorite on-air personalities at WGBH and WFNX in the Boston area of Massachusetts. I would visit them, and they gave me really helpful advice and direction into broadcasting. It wasn't until 1994 when I moved to the western part of the state that I became involved in radio. I became a volunteer programmer and the jazz director at WMUA. FM at UMass Amherst. In 2006, I moved to New York and in 2011 joined WGXC 90.7 FM, a community radio station in upstate New York, and began hosting the Jazz Disturbance. And last year, I began hosting Situation Fluxus. Linda. That's a heck of a story, Cheryl. (laughs) I've been at this Uh, Let's see. The first time I cracked a mic would be 1971. So that was college and you didn't get paid for it. First time I got paid for cracking a mic and spinning jazz, the real thing, would be in 1976 for WBBY in Westerville, Ohio. And believe me, it was legendary. It was wonderful. 1980 saw me leaving that commercial station because the legend was changing and I really didn't want to change with the Chuck Mangione type legend that it was changing into. So I joined uh, WKSU and I did evening jazz and then I became their jazz and folk music director. They changed formats in 1986 So I went to New York for a while, worked in the industry and learned a lot as a publicist, but really felt that 
radio is my calling and also felt and learned this about myself that I'm actually a better Midwesterner than I am a New Yorker. It's okay to know what you're not. I went to WEMU in 1987 to be their music director. And it was fascinating because here you were at this small university, Eastern Michigan University, but you had this incredible community right next door of Ann Arbor, Michigan. And you have to know your stuff there. You have to know what you're talking about because there are listeners who know more than you do. Now, they may not know more about swing era music, but they know more about bebop or they know more about avant-garde, whatever their area is. So you really have to, you have to know your stuff to work that market. And I worked for them for 30 years. The university gave me a buyout. I would have been a fool not to take it. And things were changing with my husband developing dementia. So I left, but I still felt that my calling was jazz radio. So I wrote a proposal to WRCJ in Detroit, which is classical music in the daytime and jazz in the evening for a program that wasn't really being served, a a segment of the audience that I didn't see being served at all in Detroit. And now it's called the swing set and I'm having a ball with it. One night a week, Sundays, 7 to 9 p.m., WRCJFM.org. So, Cheryl, first off, I love the title of your program, Jazz Disturbance. There's a bit of Star Wars in there, perhaps, but it fits. Could you describe your approach to what you do for both of the programs and also tell us a little bit more about your station? I think I'll start with what WGXC is. WGXC 90.7 FM is listener-supported radio. A generous portion of our funding comes directly from our listeners. It is a program division of Wave Farm. Wave Farm is a nonprofit arts organization driven by experimentation, with broadcast media and the airwaves. It's considered a a pioneer of the transmission arts genre. So if you can imagine a pyramid, Wave Farm is at the top and at the bottom are the three bases. And these are the things that Wave Farm does. One, transmission arts programming that also includes artist residency programs. Two, it is involved in a a re-granting partnership which supports media arts organizations as well as individuals in the state of New York. And the third is it operates WGXC, a community-based radio program. We also have some syndicated programs thrown in like Democracy Now! And how I program my show, hmm, you know, I, I usually don't have themed shows, but I may have themes within the show, like a a 20-minute segment on flutes or uh, a selection from an artist who recently has celebrated a birthday. But the constant is the pace. In my career, I've usually hosted morning shows. So it's kind of that first hour has got a nice, slow groove. It might be a ballad or, or something like that. By the second hour, I've picked up the pace a bit. And when I had a three-hour show... That third hour, I bring in more of the free and avant-garde types of music and then a a little bit of a free-for-all to get out the show. 
So, and as far as the artists, it, it doesn't really matter. I get so many requests to play music. It just, it just has to sound good to me. It fits my format, which is kind of anything goes. Could you perhaps describe how the difference in your stations reflects the different markets between inner city Detroit and upstate New York? Well, let's see. WRCJ is also totally listener supported. There are some grants, you know, some the like of underwriting, but listener supported. The classical music in the daytime is chosen specifically with Detroit in mind, and the three locally hosted evening programs, Maxine Michaels' Maxology, uh, John Penny's Jazz Fest Detroit, and my swing set, again, chosen very specifically with the Detroit listener in mind. One of the ways that we're really ministering to Detroit is by paying attention to what's going on in the city and teaming up with the arts department in the city to present programming that will support their programming. So say for example, the day that all of the people who had died in the year 2021, their photos were on Belle Isle uh, in the Detroit River and you could drive and see these photos and see what people had written about their relatives. We programmed music to go along with that drive. Now there were Detroiters who weren't really ready for like classical music, but it worked. And we put gospel together with the classical music and we mixed jazz in it. We did a whole day of jazz programming. So that's the kind of stuff that we'll do to really tie in with Detroit. A couple of more quick questions before we bring Mark in. First, I'm assuming this is an assumption. You both have total freedom in your programming choices. Is that correct? Within a, within I, a broad format. Yes, I certainly do. And you know what? I do too. Now, I've set my own parameters, and sometimes those parameters personally frustrate me. But you know what? One of the hallmarks of doing what we do, if we're successful at it, is our consistency. And it's not a foolish hobgoblin. It is just knowing how far you can stretch your envelope, sometimes staying in that envelope, and sometimes saying, I'm going to stretch it for you and you're you're going to go with me and you're going to trust me on this. So it's a it's a relationship of trust. And one more quick answers. So during the pandemic a lot of radios all radio stations were closed down for in-station broadcasting. Are you guys still doing it from home remote and pre-recording or are you going in live? I'm going in live. I love Great. it. Yeah. I'm totally at home. I now pre-record because of the limitations and deterrence at our station because of COVID. I've decided to be at home. Most of the programmers at WGXC are at home and they're either pre-recording like I am or they are going live at a, what we like to say, at an undisclosed location. You're listening to The Buzz, the JJA podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell and we're talking with Linda Yawn and Cheryl K. Semester Masterson. 
When we come back, we're going to bring in Mark Rini into this discussion. Welcome back to The Buzz. Mark, are you there? I'm here. Thanks for having me, Rick. Mark, tell us a little bit about your job. Well, I'm co-owner of Groove Marketing Consulting. We're an independent radio promotion firm that's been around since 1991. I've been with the company since 1995. And uh, since then, I've had an opportunity to work with fine broadcasters like Linda and Cheryl. We handle Blue Note Records, uh, Mac Avenue Records, and a ton of great indie artists and labels. And you're also a radio programmer. Are you still doing your show on KMHD? I'm not. I, I spent about nine years at KMHD doing a show called Soul Station, but it was a casualty of COVID. They changed programming during the pandemic. I wasn't allowed to go into the studio. And then once things started to open up, it just it didn't make sense to, to resume. So maybe uh, in the future. I should clarify that KMHD is the main jazz station in Portland, Oregon. What are the current challenges and joys of trying to get good stuff played on the radio? In my opinion, jazz is having a moment right now. There's there's a lot of great music being made and younger artists coming up. Is it getting heard? Some of it is. It's almost like, you know, in a, an embarrassment of riches at times with the amount of music that we have to work with. And it's, it's you know, I feel for some of the programmers because there, there's just not only a ton of music, but a ton of really good music. And they only have so many hours in a day and a week in a show to program this music. But a lot of it's getting heard. Ed Tresker at Jazz Week, he's the editor for the the uh, the National Radio Airplay chart. Uh, and, you know, he was t- telling me last year that it was like over 700 releases were into the into the Jazz Week system. And that was up, I think, from the low 600s from the previous, from like 2019, before the pre-pandemic. So tremendous amount of music out. But not everything is getting heard and not everything needs to be heard, Mm. frankly. Do you pay attention to the weekly jazz radio charts or do the labels pay attention? Oh, yeah, that's that's our that's our lifeline. Yeah. But, you know, and and as important as chart position is, it's not the end all be all of a successful radio campaign. We have certain clients who chart position is their main goal. And there's other ones. It's it's about tour support, sometimes more progressive or left-leaning releases they're focused on the college charts and more specialty play because there's quite a few important stations out there that don't report to any of the charts and we still have to keep them on our radar and, and get the music i know that you don't work smooth jazz stations specifically there are some stations that play both smooth jazz and more straight ahead styles but stations that are strictly smooth jazz are off your radar is that correct Correct. Just it's it'd be like a vegan butcher. It just Josh and I don't, you know, it's not the music that we like. So we're not going to push it. So you've been at this a while. Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Is it the same? The music seems to live on no matter what the challenges are in terms of marketing and business. But in terms of radio business, what's your diagnosis? It's really, you know, jazz radio is, is funny in a way because. Unlike commercial radio, programming philosophies vary from station to station. And, you know, you have some folks who are just programming their own show. They have complete autonomy. And our approach with them is a little different than we're going after someone who is programming a 24-7 jazz station and is really overseeing the complete sound of that station. I would say it's 
it's getting, you know, technology has made things a lot easier, um, you know, with us being able to utilize uh, digital servicing, we can cast a much wider net and get the music out to, to many more people. But I'd say as far as the, the health of the jazz radio right now, I'd say it's, it's fairly strong. 10 years ago, people were telling me that my job was going away, that radio was dead. And that's not true. I know this because we have booking agents on our back about getting interviews and getting people on the radio because they know that's what puts people in seats. There's a quite a few markets that it's that they're going to take a radio hit even much more than a press hit. That doesn't work in every market, but there's certain markets where that radio you know, exposure is, is vital for an artist coming through town. That's good to hear. I, w- I want to just add here. I love radio. I started on the radio in college, like Linda, when I was 19 years old. And I started out playing primarily rock and roll, but I educated myself about jazz in the station's library. So I've been doing jazz radio for over 50 years, uh, not consecutively, but most of the time. Cheryl and Linda, you want to jump back in here? Add anything to what Mark had to say? Mm. Well, I will say about our station, I mean, we are free-range chickens at WGXE. We come in with our own ideas for shows, and we come in with our own resources, meaning for music programmers, you come in with your own music. I have the advantage of having a long, trusting relationship with so many of of my contacts that I always have music to play. So that's great. When I was at WMUA, as the jazz director, I thought it was really important to bring in different types of music for people to play. Yeah, I had some programmers who didn't like vocal jazz and they didn't like smooth jazz or avant-garde, but still the idea of having a library is really important, not just for present programmers, but for future programmers. For me, you know, I'm always keeping my ears open to different types of music. I never pin myself down to one specific artist or type. I'd say did a similar thing with WEMU. That EMU library is legendary. It's huge. It's 70,000 compact discs. It is LPs. It is 78 RPMs. And they're still being used by the programmers on that station today. I got to admit, I'm very proud of WEMU today. They're still swinging. And the variety is unique. It's very soulful. It's very intelligent. For WRCJ, I can purchase historic recordings that I need. And thank goodness, folks like Mark are still sending me some stuff that I can make work in that swing set concept. So like you, Cheryl, I've got my stuff here at home. I pre-program it. Bam, I drive it down 14 and 96, and there I am, and we're swinging. Well, obviously, there's lots of different things we could say about the joys and challenges of programming jazz on the radio, but I want to thank you all for participating in this podcast. Mark, like Linda said, thank you for what you do for all of us broadcasters, and Linda and Cheryl, thanks again. One more question here. We're all getting up there. Cheryl, perhaps a little less, but what about <laughs> younger jazz programmers at your stations? Are, are are they finding their way to this music like we did when we were young? 
For me at WGXC, no, I am really a lone gun out there and I am not as young as I sound, but it's just very hard to find them. I mean, we're there. We have a worldwide presence because we're on the web like so many radio stations. But no, I don't find young people coming to jazz per se, but there are artists out there who are bringing younger people to this music. So I, I'm only hoping that they can find their way to the broadcast booth. For Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti and Detroit too, there are young people that are really interested in this music, especially because of the strong educational component at University of Michigan, Wayne State University, and Rodney Whitaker's program at Michigan State University. And those students have been told, listen to jazz radio, listen to the storytelling on jazz radio. And I've got friends who, in the music, who range from age 17 to 93. So it's there. It's there. Thank you, Linda. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Mark. I'm Rick Mitchell. Tune in again for The Buzz, the JJA podcast. Sponsors of the JJA springtime activities include the Berkeley School of Music, Joyce and George Wien Foundation, Jazz Foundation of America, and SF Jazz, San Jose Jazz, Stanford Jazz Workshop, Monterey Jazz Festival Kumba Workshop, and the Peabody Conservatory. The Buzz is produced by Jeffrey Siegel and features the music of John Michaels performing the tune Big Vic. Thank you for listening, and please come back in two weeks for the next edition of The Buzz. Sponsors of the JJA Springtime Activities include the Berkeley School of Music, Joyce and George Wien Foundation, Jazz Foundation of America, and SF Jazz, San Jose Jazz, Stanford Jazz Workshop, Monterey Jazz Festival Kumba Workshop, and the Peabody Conservatory. The Buzz is produced by Jeffrey Siegel and features the music of John Michaels performing the tune Big Vic. Thank you for listening, and please come back in two weeks for the next edition of The Buzz.